No, I'm not Kate Moss, but I am the supermodel of sales. And because I feel like I'm the supermodel of sales, other people see me as a supermodel of sales. If you haven't got confidence in yourself or the product that you sell, neither will other people. Welcome to the Sales Expert Podcast, where we explore the world of sales from the perspective of industry experts and thought leaders. My name is Ushin Brown. And I'm Dara O'Connor. And this podcast expert is Alison Edgar, a British entrepreneur, speaker, and author known for her expertise in sales. Alison is the author of two books, Secrets of Successful Sales and Smash It. Alison was rewarded the member of the Order of British Empire, MBE, in the Queen's New Year Honours List in 2020 for her services in entrepreneurship and sales. Alison, how are you? I'm top of the world. I am honoured to be with you. So uh, thank you so much for having me. Alison, can you tell me a bit about your background and how you got into sales? I kind of fell into sales by accident, to be honest. Um, so originally I'm from Clydebank, which is just outside Glasgow, a working class town. My mum was a cleaner. My dad worked on the shipyards and I... I loved going to school because I loved the uh, social side of school, but I didn't really enjoy the education side and I couldn't work out why because I tried really hard, but I was later diagnosed dyslexic. So that's that sort of had a lot to explain about how I couldn't retain the information. And when I left school at 16, I went to work in hospitality. So I was working in hotels and I think that gave me a lot of the skill set that you need in sales because I genuinely believe that sales and customer service is exactly the same thing. So to me that the grounding started there and then I ended up going traveling. So I was supposed to travel for six months, was away for six years. Um, and I worked in Australia, I worked in South Africa, the Channel Islands. And when I came back to the UK, I met my husband and my husband is a software developer. So I was still working shifts and in hospitality. And he said, look, this isn't working. Can you get those weekends off? And I went, not really in hospitality. It doesn't work like that. And he says, well, you know, I think maybe there's an ultimatum. You've got to try and get a real job or it's not going to work out. So I, I, I thought this one was a keeper. Well, he is a keeper. 25 years later, I'm still with him. But I then applied for the first ever call centre that BT opened in Scotland in Motherwell, and it was DMDR, Direct Mail, Direct Response. Um, so I sort of fell into sales by accident, but it was really for me an extension of what I did in hospitality. And lo and behold, I became the top salesperson in the uh, in the two floors. It's like a call center of 200. And I was like, always oh, the top in there. How did that connection between hospitality uh, get you into the call center? Was it de dealing with the public and having the gift of the gab or, or what was it you attributed to? Yeah, I, I think that's interesting. You say the gift of the gab because I genuinely don't necessarily think that is always the best in sales because, and I think um, some of the best salespeople are more introverted and just ask really great questions. Whereas a lot of salespeople miss the target by having the gift of the gab. So in hospitality, when you're trying to resolve a complaint or a situation, you don't jump into solution mode. You find out like, and what's how's that a card? And you know what would be a, a really good outcome for you, you know, from this situation. And again, great open questions. And I think that was the fundamental thing that I took to the call center was don't sell too soon, don't pitch too quickly, because in hospitality you don't have a chance to do that. You've got to really problem solve. And I think that's exactly what sales is. It's exactly the same thing. It's just problem solving. Problem solving and people skills. 
Yeah. So you're in the call center. What happened next? So you made a good impression, obviously. Yeah, but what then happened was um, my husband got a job in England. So we live in Wiltshire, so I'm not actually in Scotland anymore. And I went, I transferred with BT and it was the strangest office I've ever been in. Like they weren't allowed to have the lights on because somebody didn't like it. Um, you weren't allowed to talk. It was just bizarre. It was like I'd come from an all singing, all dancing, electric atmosphere in a call center where we're ringing bells, we're going woohoo, like we're winning incentives. Like I can remember again, we can't really talk about this now, but like my boss would throw down like two twenty pound notes on a Friday, just like cash, so that if you got the target in, you got the two two twenty quid notes. You can't do that now, BT. If you're listening like that, but that never happened. That's just a, a memory in my head that wasn't real oh um and then i thought i can't work in this environment it didn't feel a natural sales environment to me it was too slow it was too dark it was too uninspiring and was that with bt as well yeah it was unfortunately but a small a small office rather than a big call center but i think what i learned there from a sales perspective was we used to sort of double bubble with the field sales guys. So I was telesales. I was, again, still doing like direct mail, direct response. But a lot of it was bigger accounts. It was like a PAM channel. So it was the premium accounts. And I would then get the lead, qualify it, and then send it off to the field sales team. And then I thought, I want to be that one. I want to be out there on the field. So I had then, at this time, Yellow, I had a connection in Yellow Pages and I had applied for a job in Yellow Pages through, again, you know, when you, you can refer people in and they get a kickback and if you get the job and stuff. And I went for the interview and they said, not a hope in hell's chance. It doesn't matter, you know, what your experience is. You don't have any field sales experience. And I thought, right. And I really wanted to work with them for several reasons. A, it was the brand leader at the time because showing my age now, Dara, there was no internet. So everybody used the yellow pages. Um, and secondly, the money that they paid, like not just the um, on target, but the basic salary was was brilliant. I mean, at that time in the 90s, it was something like 32,000 basic with a, a like a, an achievable 100 grand OTE. So I thought, right, I'm going to do that. But they, they would not entertain me. They're like, well, no, 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 definitely not. And I said, well, what do I need to do to get this job? I want this job. What do I need to do? And they go, well, you have to go and get field sales experience. So I know this sounds really bizarre, but I was driving home from the office, which was about 60 miles away from where I was living. And my car caught fire, right? Honestly, you wouldn't, you couldn't write this. The car was only about 18 months old and I'm driving home and the stoplight comes on and I'm like, what's going on with that? Pulled over, whoosh, whole car gone. So not only did I need a job in field sales, I also needed a car. So I had to get on that, like getting this job really quick, smart. And I ended up that I'd applied for Dow Egberts, the coffee company. Oh, yeah. And again, it was a B2B field sales role. Um, and it was selling the coffee machines to the golf clubs, uh, universities and, and things like that. And I got the job literally smashed it like I was winning the incentives the prizes and I really loved it but that I wanted to work for Yellow Pages so 18 months down the track there's me knocking on the door hello I'm back now here I am when do you want me to start and again if you look at you know in Smash It I talk about everything we do in life as a sale 
but also getting that career path. A lot of people wouldn't have done what I did. And that just is that tenacity for sales. And then I ended up working for them for 15 years uh, before I set up my own sales training company. So sometimes, again, it's just about being patient, getting the skills and going back. And that's what happens with sales, isn't it? That, you know, sometimes it's timing is the correct time to win that client over. But so many people give up and they don't keep the door open and then they don't, or they don't even remember to knock on the door. That's the thing, They've got their pipelines are so shoddy in how they keep the notes on them that they don't even remember to knock on the door and they've missed the opportunity. So um, I think that's the lesson that from a, a career perspective that really brings it back to sales. What caused you to go from smashing it with your, your new job, making all the sales targets to kind of going, okay, I'm going to leave this nice job with a good bonus, good salary and good security. And I'm going to go out on my own as a consultant. Well, that's an interesting one because the t- in the words of Bob Dylan, the times they are a changing. And I think like working for an organization, I, I was in a building and the CEO of Yellow Pages stood up in front of the whole team and said that Google thing will never catch on. And that's when you know, like if your leader is not forward thinking, uh, is that the right organization to be working at actually inside? And I genuinely, I had no idea, Dara, what I was going to do. I, I just knew that I can't, I couldn't sell a, I can't ever sell a product that I believe isn't at its prime and is, is working at its best because I would feel that I was disingenuous to the customer. And again, I think that comes a lot of that from a hospitality background that I, I really um, believe in the values that I talk about. And I would never screw somebody over to make a sale or a commission if it didn't fit with my ethics and my moral. I just wouldn't do it. I would walk away. And I think that was the problem that like the, at that time, the brand was not keeping pace with the changes in the tech the tech space it was it was coming to the party too late wasn't listening to its customers at the right time and I, I had no idea what to do and like all Scottish girls like we do this thing we we phone our pal and I phoned up and I went hello Lorraine and she went yeah and I said Lorraine I can't do this I just have no idea what I'm going to do and she goes ah that's really easy Alison just go and set up your own training company and you sell you teach people to sell the way that you do it you know from your heart from your passion I went, okay, Lorraine, I'll do that. And that's what I did. Literally, I set the company up and the rest, like literally, as they say, is history. And you spoke about the, your values. What values do a good salesperson need to develop to become excellent at their job? So I honestly believe that um, if you don't 100% believe in the product or the service that you sell as being like amazing, you're going to struggle to sell that. So I think it's that the ethics are on your own um, values of that product because there's so many people, I think, stay in sales roles and they're always complaining about, oh, my product doesn't do this, or I wish it did that. And they've always got something to bring up negative about it. And I'm not saying that every product or service is perfect, but stop whinging about it. If you think it can be improved, then put suggestions through. Or actually, if you don't think that your product or service is, is like is great, go and find a job of a product or service that you do think is great. And um, I think it comes across to the, the customers because a lot of the time when things don't go according to plan and the customers are um, complaining, for example, and they go, yeah, that happens all the time or, you know, and you think, oh, really? Like, so 
I, I think it's that value. If you genuinely, I, I really believe that you can only sell something that you honestly believe is 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 a great product or service. When you're training, how do you help your clients improve their sales performance? And uh, what are some of the common mistakes that you, you would see salespeople make when it comes to sales? I'll start with the, what's the most common thing I see is people, um, I would say, selling too soon. Also, if we look like like from a generational perspective, some of the stuff, if we look at like the um, older generation, I feel I can say that because I'm 55, right? So I'm allowed to say that. Um, like people who've been selling for a longer time, they might be really good at reading customers. They might be really good at the sales process, but some of the times they're not so good at the tech side of things or the LinkedIn side of things or the, um, you know, the usage of maybe more modern technology. And then if you look at the younger people um, coming through in sales, a lot of them don't like picking up the phone because they're frightened of rejection. Really, I think it's fear of rejection and um, they've not they're not used to it. They, they don't, they've not been brought up using a phone. So they'll default back to email, which isn't really sales, in my opinion. That's marketing. But actually, they're really good at the tech side, but they're scared of the phone side. And I think it's really sales teams sharing that best practice and, and that knowledge. But I think the other thing that I see, and I know this is going to sound like one of the, the just the strangest comments, but I really believe that ultimately good sales just comes from great open questions. Who, what, when, where, why, how, who, what, where, why. And that, that, that's all you need to do. And then listen to the answer and then formulate the plan and then reverse engineer what you're trying to sell, if that makes sense, and then sell the benefits close. Boom, as if it was that easy all the time. But that's the formula, isn't it? Whereas so many people don't really know the sales process. So they don't know the customer journey. They revert back to, would you like me to? Can I? Would you like a demo? Would you like this? And like the, the customer, when they say no, you're back to a corner. Where the hell do you go from there? So it's those like, and it sounds like the basics. But if I'm like with a team and I'm, I'm listening to calls or I'm doing observations, poof. so to me, that's like the, you know, the other side of it. And then in the first book, Secrets of Successful Sales, I talk about the four key pillars. So the first one is behaviours, which I think is massive. It's huge because people buy people and they buy people like them. But if you're not self-aware and you're not aware of the customer's behaviours, the relationship breaks. Even before you start, the relationship's broken. And then the other thing is a sales strategy. You know, we get great data, but are you really doing things like, you know, using LinkedIn, different types of prospecting. And then the fourth one is confidence. And this is where, again, coming back to the generational side, a lot of people that have been selling a longer time have got confidence because they've learned the ropes. They, you know, they've, they kind of know a wee bit more what they're doing. Whereas with younger generation coming through, the thing that I hear most is the lack of confidence. So I think, but the the, the lack of confidence comes from not knowing the behaviours, not having a process, not actually having a strategy and fumbling around in the dark. And I do believe also that a lot of um, organisations do not train their teams very well, especially smaller businesses. Um, and they're just they're learning bad habits from people who have got bad habits because they're not investing in training. So the four pillars are behaviour, process, strategy and confidence. In a nutshell, okay. Yes. It's a nice, easy way to to remedy a good plan and put a plan in place, I think, for salespeople. So, I mean, it's interesting with that as well, Dara, because when I wrote the book, I, 
I had to unpick what I do. So I, I set up a sales training company. I'd never been a sales trainer. I'd just been good at sales. I put um, I put together like training programs, but I'd never created a training program. I, I wrote a book, but I had never written a book. So I had to, when I wrote the book, just literally unpick what I do. Like I was, I was a top performer. I'm not the only top performer in the world, but what did the top performers do? And everything that they do fits into those four pillars and just putting it in the pillars just makes it an easy methodology to follow. And if we, if we take them pillars one at a time and we look at the first pillar uh, in your book, which is uh, pillar one, understanding customer uh, behaviors. Hmm. It's a very observational uh, task uh in your demand leads or your lead generation could you tell us a little bit more about that or how you would uh, apply that yeah so it's based on um it's based on psychology and i think people underrate psychology or they go oh yeah but that, that doesn't really apply to me i think it's the foundation for everything to be honest and if we look um it's based on uh, Carol Young's psychology and this the stuff that I use is on the DISC methodology by William Moulton Marston. With the colours. With the colours. And, and and it's really fascinating as well because when I was doing the research as to which tool and which, which methodology I was going to use, I looked at Myers-Briggs and Belbin and DISC and again, as a non-academic, and a lot of people who go into sales are non-academic, Myers-Briggs and Belbin are really quite highbrow, so it takes you longer to translate. Whereas with the DISC methodology, I mean, basically, the, the cross that's in the book, I think, is the meaning of life, honestly, because it's not just like selling as in a profession, but every day we're selling, every day we want to smash it and get what we want. And in Smash It, I talk about the me thing and the we thing. So as soon as somebody else is involved in you getting what you want, like making a sale, you need to know this and be able to practice it like the back of your hand. So some people are task focused, others are relationship focused, some people are introvert, others are extrovert. And that's where the colours sort of fit in around that cross. But I mean, we use it for everything. And like I can I even teach people how to use it. Um like identify the behaviors from their LinkedIn profile or from their LinkedIn photo. Uh, like we can like go, oh yeah, that would be a green behavior. Yeah, really, because because we revert back to type that if you're if you're an extrovert and you looked at the LinkedIn photo, you're like that right down the camera and your profile goes, I've done this, I've done that, I've done the next thing because extroverts like to talk about themselves. They like to be seen. Whereas introverts, you know, sometimes I've got the the dreaded grey egg because they don't want to stand out or you know there's a picture of them but it's like 10 miles down a beach or and then it's again they won't want to humble brag in there so it'll be like oh we did this and it's an organization so they won't like you can even pick up how to reach out to somebody because that's the thing loads of people don't tailor they just like oh this is what i do and i send it out to everyone and and this is the difference between the top performers and the hit one miss one the top performers would always individualize whereas you can still hit your target by sending out a blanket but you'll be erratic because you will not be building as much and th uh, through your pipeline because you've not built as many relationships then the pillar two and pillar three is about this pro uh, pillar two is the sales process and pillar three is the strategy talk a bit about them individually and the difference because i think a lot of time in sales people mix up the process with the strategy i mean to me the process is like manufacturing and i think this is the problem you know you said wait, what's the most sort of common thing i see is actually so if you look at uh the dyson 
the vacuum cleaner, right? You get all the components, you get all the parts, it goes through the machine, here it comes, it's coming back through. Why? Voila, you have a Dyson. And that's the same if you follow process. And again, do your research. Um, are you organised? I call it the introduction. So again, a great opening pitch in there to get somebody interested. Great open questions, listening to the answers, you know, really finding out the challenges the customer has, drawing the line in the sand, selling the benefits, and then going into like overcoming objections and, you know, reclosing it again and then delivering to expectation. That is like the manufacturing of a Dyson. And, it, it, and, and you know the great thing? If I do go out and I watch somebody that has been sales process trained, I know the next words that are coming out their mouth. It's like a magic dance to me. And I'm like, oh, my God, we're going to do this next and that next. And I know where they're going. I know the words that are going to come out their mouth because they know process. But the problem is so many people don't know process. But like manufacturing, things sometimes don't go through quality control. So you don't get 100% Dyson's coming through the other end. And that's like sales. You know, you might follow the process, but you still might not get the deal at the end. But it's about keeping that relationship open so that you can go back in and, you know, you can fix your Dyson and then, whoa, you've got a Dyson, here we go. So to me, process is um, the part that I think most people don't follow. They, they, they kind of wing it, they blag it. It's not it's erratic and so are the results. But if you look at a top performer, literally they follow that by the book every single time. And then strategy, uh, to me, so the original book was really written for entrepreneurs. I changed it at the very last minute because I thought, oh, salespeople know all this. It's only entrepreneurs that don't know this. And of course, actually, it turns out salespeople don't know this either. So it's how to, you know, a wee bit in the strategy part in the book I talk about brand building and becoming the you know the expert in your field and I mean you know somebody who's done that incredibly well is somebody like Daniel Disney you know if you look at Dan he's created that personal brand by you know being the there's such a, a guru on LinkedIn and he then starts to generate leads from that and I think it's again looking at how you grow your brand and being the expert again you can use it in LinkedIn but if you're working for a, an organization it's how do you strategically look for new business how do you go on the hunt and so many people don't think outside the box when it comes to that they use the data that they've got they're not asking for referrals. You know, it's just the, the old chestnuts that we've been doing for a long time, but they get into bad habits and they're not really looking strategically uh, around how they close those sales. Pillar four is all about the confidence. And when I read your book, you have a, a chapter in there where you talk about a workshop you gave where you, you showed a photo of Kate Moss and uh, you asked the question, am I Kate Moss? Well, are you Kate Moss? <laughs> No, I'm not Kate Moss, but I am the supermodel of sales. And because I feel like I'm the supermodel of sales, other people see me as a supermodel of sales. If you haven't got confidence in yourself or the product that you sell, neither will other people. And I think that's the thing. It's that genuine, you know, coming back to what you asked me earlier, that genuine belief that what you are selling, and, you know, obviously for me from a training perspective, if I don't believe that I can teach people to sell or I'm like, oh, I don't really know what I'm doing with this, people won't want to work with me. And I think that's, again, something I see specifically in people who are fairly new to sales. They lack confidence in themselves or the product and service. Alison, on that, and I think working sales, you do need to be thick-skinned particularly if you're in field sales and you know you're knocking a lot of doors and 
rejection is it could be eight percent rejection and twenty percent success. So how do you instill confidence to to somebody starting out in sales that is experiencing that um, those closed doors? It's really interesting you say that about field sales as well. So um, I've been doing some research on the five biggest fears that we have as humans. So uh, the first one is change. So again, we're in an evolving world that a lot of people fear change and they try and resist change and just do what they've always done. Uh, The other thing is uncertainty. And let's face it, sales is just wrapped in that. Rejection is another one. Loneliness. Um, and if you have a look like that, that is, and again, it's so interesting because having worked in fields, field, not in fields, I'm not a farmer, honestly, uh, having worked in field sales, you you look at different, um, how people manage their time. Now, time management for me is a massive thing because I think that that's another key element to being a, an overperformer. Um, but it's how people fill their diary. So, you know, you drive to X amount of town, you might like have three appointments in or four appointments in, you have a blowout, or oh, what do you do? Do you sit in McDonald's? Do you go home early? Do you knock a few doors? Do you do a wee bit of research? What do you do with that time? And I think that a lot of people waste that time. And that's where that, um, because of that fear, they're, they're scared to like, called like the milk round i don't know what they call it now but used to call it the milk round where you were in an an industrial estate and you think actually could you give me the name of the person that buys your photocopiers or does whatever so you're starting to create your own strategy and your own um, side of things but a lot of this uh, you know people perceive that as negative in salespeople, i just think they're absolutely petrified so i think the main sort of takeaway around this is actually it's not personal it's not they're not they're not giving they're not rejecting you personally because nobody likes to be rejected personally but you don't know what's going on with that person like they could be having a bad day at work they could be on a deadline and like you're the last thing that they want to see so it's just about you know being i think humble i think actually saying you know i haven't got an appointment for this today um it might not be a great time but when when would be a good time to chat about your photocopiers or whatever it is like i'm just randomly throwing things out here and they go oh we've already got photocopiers oh yeah that i know you know it's great photocopiers are brilliant mostly everyone's got one but actually what we find is a lot of people are unhappy with certain aspects of their current supplier whether it be price or quality or customer service so usually it's always worth a wee conversation just to make sure that you you are up to there and just out of interest like how would you rate your current supplier oh well they're a five okay so the time is not great oh do you know what it's funny you say that they're a three because they keep forgetting to order the toner cartridges and they're always late and my boss has given me it in the new so you've created that need because usually what you're selling is not like woo it's not like the dyson it's the first one in the world usually you're selling something that people have already got a solution for but yeah you're that's all you're selling so to me um it's just it's just really knowing that they're not rejecting you properly and welcoming the challenge and that's why and again i'm going to be quite controversial but not everybody's cut out for sales not everybody actually can take that rejection because they can't move on. And a lot of that is coming back to the DISC methodology. Some people are task focused, other people are relationship focused. So if you're all relationship fo- focused, you it will break your heart. You'll go home crying that somebody said no to you. Whereas if you're blended with task, it makes it easier. So that's where um, 
self-awareness is massive on this one. I, I think experience can teach that as well, Alison. In my, in my own experience, I would have started 20 years ago uh, door knocking and I would have been very relationship focused and I would have had the heart broken and tears at doors not opening. Uh, but you learn over time, um, you learn over time that it's okay to get a no. Yeah, that's just closest to the yes. Every single time you get the no, it's like, oh, here's another, there we are. And I talk about that in the book. I'm friends with a, a guy called Will King, who's the uh, founder of King of Shaves, the shaving foam and razors and stuff like that. And he's like a really cool entrepreneur. And I said, can you give me a wee quote for the book about sales? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Every time you get a no, it's just like that's closest to the yes. Well, there we go. Nice little quote. But it's true. But I think mentally you have to prepare yourself for that but uh, you know it's interesting we say that as well because sometimes people are waiting for the no so they're going in apprehensively rather than confidently and that's where like buyers can be like oh shh, straight on that one and just whooshing it away whereas that confidence level tends to see you a wee bit further forward and the second thing i learned is it is a numbers game sales is a numbers numbers games and it's something you don't see uh, when you're at the starting line, but you see with hindsight uh, when you have the experience. Yeah, I agree. And I think I think that also comes back to what you were saying, how uh, people nowadays, the younger people, um, you know, they find it hard to take that rejection. Yet they all you also spoke about people with more experience and older have the confidence. So how do you in your training uh, and your consulting work, how do you speed train these people to have uh, the confidence when you know it, it is a numbers game? I think it's it's definitely around mindset, like that belief that actually um, that somebody saying no is a step to a yes. When people give you um, constructive criticism that it's not personal, actually it's something that you can improve on. But I think I've got a, a not a theory, and again, maybe a little bit controversial, but I... I Maybe because I struggled with education, I think education I've got quite a lot to um, answer for. And, and again, from a generational perspective, so when I went to school, maybe when you went to school, uh, you were allowed to win. You were allowed to, like, so it's school sports day, let's all get out there and run. And, oh, look, oh, Dara's a winner. Yay, give Dara a medal. Oh, do you know what, Ashun, that maybe uh, if you trained a wee bit more or if you stretched before you, you race or, you know, these are, this is the feedback and then that will help you improve at your running. But maybe running isn't your thing. Maybe it's sales or actually maybe it's art or music or whatever like life is not fair not everyone is a winner and we've got a generation that were brought up to get medals because everyone's a winner come on it's all okay you know we've all got our strengths and we've all got things we're not great at you shouldn't get a medal for something you're not great at so i believe that the resilience and how people take rejection if you've never experienced rejection and you think everyone's a winner then you're going to struggle and i think we've created a monster in a generation and again i'm 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 very loosely because it's not absolutely everyone, but it has affected people in the same with like, oh, I don't really want to pick up the phone or, you know, again, it's really funny because I, I love the phone, right? And my, my team are all young. So the team that work with me are all young and they do this thing when the phone rings and go, oh, I don't recognize that number. Oh, no, I won't answer that. I'm not going to answer that. That might be a sales call. Yeah, it might, but it could be the lottery telling that you've won. You know, sometimes you just got to go out of that comfort zone. And I do believe that, you know, the thing with it is, um, I think with younger people is to 
learn that rejection is not a bad thing it's actually a good thing because it will happen throughout your life and it's how you change your mindset to change and believe actually that rejection was a positive rather than a negative and if you can believe that it's a positive it will really help your stamina it will help your resilience and it will actually help you in later life so that's that's my thoughts around that one again maybe a little bit controversial that's why chess is such a great game to teach your kids there's one winner and one loser (laughs) (laughs) and it's black and white (laughs) black and white and it is yeah um what role does empathy play in sales and how do you uh teach that or coach that so I think some people are naturally empathetic. So again, it comes back to the cross and the diss that some people are people focused. Again, if you look at like a green behavior type, which I explain in the book, then it's natural to them. But I do believe that it is a, a learned behavior, that you can learn that as a behavior. And and if what I find is really interesting, um, because a lot of people ask me this in leadership, empathetic leadership. And as leaders, this is the thing that even sales leaders, so people that are managing sales teams, they might be great. So they go out with the client, they're asking great open questions, you know, they're listening to their clients. But then when it comes to leadership, they're talk, 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 talk. And they don't put the same process in place by actually finding out the challenges. They try and problem solve too fast and they don't do it in sales, but they do it in leadership. The process for leadership is exactly the same as the sales process, because as a leader, you want that person to really do what you want them to do in the way that you want them to do it. And again, I think that's where if the the empathy is really important. But some people, again, coming back to DISC, some people don't want empathy. They want tasks. They want facts. So leadership as well isn't one size fits all you actually have to lead every single team member differently depending on their behaviors some people um with empathy some people don't need empathy some people need a heart uh maybe harsher not harsher but more to the point style of management and you spoke earlier as well Alison, about um using linkedin as a sales tool i think uh before covid a lot of the traditional sales that were out in the field knocking on doors really found the, the, the brakes put on their, their whole world and had to turn to the likes of LinkedIn and, and do a, a deep dive. What, what are good practices and strategies to use for hunting uh, with a tool like LinkedIn? Don't use a bot, in my opinion, and don't spam. Don't don't go in and, oh, you know, buy my product, buy my product. Or, honestly, I just go delete, block, delete, block, delete, block. Um, build a relationship the way you will. Like, so if I was like going through your profile, I'd go, oh, I see that you've been um, like working at this organization for a while. There's some changes going on in there. Like, how, how does that affect your role? Or just start a conversation, you know? And again, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Or like for me, I use it a lot. Most of my speaking business comes through LinkedIn and I, I look at it. And again, depending on the behavior type, I say, well, actually, um, I see that you book speakers for events. Um, I would love to be involved in this, but I'd also like to send you a complimentary copy of the book. What's the best address to send it to? So I'm not selling too soon. I'm starting to build the relationship. And I think that's where that's the same as you would do in face to face. In, I think it's a great point. I think also to let them know who you are, you you spoke about the grey egg, uh, which which is referring to people online who don't have the photos up. Or um, I think to talk about a bit about the aesthetics and the information they should be putting on their LinkedIn to promote themselves. 
Yeah, I mean, I think a good profile about what they do, what the company represents, but also regular posting or commenting. You know, so many people are on LinkedIn and I think they're just like it's voyeurism. They just sit there and they just watch it. Whereas how do you build a relationship? You don't sit in a networking and go like that and not speak to anybody. You start a conversation. But so many people on LinkedIn just sit there and just observe like that. That's never going to get you any business. So I think being proactive, like, so say it's, again, I'm back to these old photocopiers. I, I did say I've never sold a photocopier in my life, so don't ask me why I keep talking about them <laughs> till today. Press hard, five copies. Or a Dyson. <laughs> <laughs> or a Dyson. But if you were, like, so say, like, let's say Dyson, for example, because that's obviously an evolution of a market that the, um, you know, you've got the G-Tech is on the market now. You've got the Kirby. The Kirby, oh, I'm going back in the day now with bad sales, haven't I? The Kirby. Um, this is the yellow painted territory. Yeah, honestly, you've got the, oh, I can't even remember what else you've got. The Hoover, Henry, Henrietta and all that kind of stuff. Henry Hoover. So there's loads of, there's loads of competition. But by actually talking about the changes in the market um, and the technology changes and or maybe like um, the effect that dog hair has on uh, your health or something like that. You know, if you know, if you know that your, your vacuum is the world's leader in cleaning up dog hairs, don't you don't have to go oh look at us we clean up dog hairs you say like actually there's a survey being done or you do your own survey or you do a poll on linkedin to say you know what percentage of the you know uh, how do you find that dog hair affects your living um from a mental health perspective because you have to clean it every day or from a physical health perspective because you've got to breathe in and it affects asthma or whatever and then you know starting to put out content that will relate to people that have got dogs or people have got this or you know, it's something that's um, relevant using good hashtags, manufacturing, vacuum cleaners, dog hair, whatever it is. And, and you know, people will flock to you. But I also do think um, really starting to grow your, your network on there so that when you do put a post out or you are putting a poll out or whatever, it's going to people that are like-minded or potential prospects for you or, or again, something in your industry that... that you can tie into that knowledge. I think I think as well. I think as well when you're reaching out to people, there, there's a little comment box to put a note. Put a note. Introduce yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, well, I think it's interesting with that as well because it's, it's sometimes it depends on uh, your LinkedIn strategy. So I think there's two LinkedIn strategies. There's um, so if you look at perhaps somebody in uh, a town, let's see Dublin, right? Let's see there's there's somebody who does waste management in Dublin, right? And they don't co cover a, a wider um, geographic than Dublin and they are only business to business. So their, their pool of potential clients is actually quite small, right? Because they've not got many, it might be big high volumes, but it's quite small. So it's trying to keep your network tight so that you've got a small network but it's deep as an oil well. So you're really getting to know your people. And if you don't personalize that message and say, oh, look, you know, I'm also in Dublin or um, I see you're in the waste management industries. This is something that we work with too. Or, you know, something really specific that they're going to say, oh yeah, I'm going to connect to this person because we've got a similar interest. And then there's people like me <laughs> who have got like a really wide network, but it's quite shallow. So like, and the reason for that is obviously 
in the speaking because that's mainly what I'm doing now. It's about growing that profile. It's having a really high profile because I'm international and I don't work in one industry type. So again, I think it depends on the actual salesperson themselves and the industry, whether you want a narrow and deep or a wide and shallow. Just go into that again, Alison. So a small network um, that's deep in the oil well. Just go into that in a bit more detail. Um... Well, so like for me, I've got I've got something like nearly 26,000 followers. Okay. So if one if one of my followers or one of my connection puts up a post, I don't always see it, so I can't comment on it because it, it I'm not getting all the I'm not getting the flow through for my network, so I can I don't I, I don't get everybody's posts. Whereas if you've maybe and again coming back to waste management in Dublin, and that's all the you know it's anybody in that sort of space that you're looking for that's schools or colleges or anybody that's got a lot of waste, then if somebody puts up a post about. I don't know anything. Oh, it's a new school year and we're doing whatever, but that's one of your prospects. Then you would comment on that. You know, you'd be like, oh, I've had a look at that. That looks that looks really good. Um, great to see that you're doing this. It's great for the environment. Do you know what I mean? You're not missing a trick because you've only got a few followers, but you really want to go down really deep because your prospect base is quite small. And you're building rapport online. Mm, Really strong. Whereas with mine, I miss a lot. Literally, I know that I miss a lot. But I use Sales Navigator to help me from that aspect for the ones that I really want to connect with. I I don't particularly like myself if somebody uh, connects with you and literally within two minutes of uh, of accepting the uh, connection, they're they're selling you something. (laughs) Delete and block. Literally, that's my my LinkedIn strategy. Delete and block, delete and block, delete and block. But, you know, I think that's, but like again, so you guys connected with me. Would you like to come on the podcast? Yeah, I'd be like, yeah, that sounds really great. I'll come on the podcast. So it's not always about doing business together. It's about extending your network. So you might be talking to somebody, and or somebody might be listening to this podcast. They say, "Well, I'm looking for a sales a speaker for my sales kickoff." And, and they've heard me or they've spoken to you and you go, oh, you should have Alison Edgar. So again, it's not just always about getting business straight away. It's about building a network of people that are potential, you know, potential of potential clients. So um, never underestimate that power. And it's as well that there was a synergy in terms of, you know, we're all about sales. You're all about sales. So you have this common ground. Alison, you were awarded many awards over the years for your work in sales. In 2020, you were awarded the MBE for your services to entrepreneurship and sales. What did that mean to you to receive that honor? Oh, I can't even put it into words because it's such a... Um, so for anybody that doesn't know what it is, so every year the the late queen and now the king, roughly twice a year, once at the new year, and then um, again at the birthday, which I think the official birthday is Mar- May, May, I think it is March, May sometime, um, they choose roughly a thousand people f- for different things. So it's, um, you can get it for sports. So somebody like um, Marcus Rashford was on the list that I did, the football player. Joe Wicks, the body coach, he got his at the same time. His was for exercise or whatever it is. So um, it was just an honour that mine is for, it's entrepreneurship and business. So obviously sales business, same thing, but uh, as something I'm so passionate about, but also as a female in the space that I'm in, as you guys know, it's a very male dominated and, you know, space that I'm in. So it just meant the world. And honestly, um, I sometimes still have to pinch myself. I cannot believe 
little old me from Clydebank and living in a high-rise flat that left school at 16 has done these things that it's uh, I, I, I don't I have no words and not in a kind of fake humble kind of way in a genuine humble kind of way and I, I did have goals and I did have drive but the things that have happened just shows you that if you do graft and you work hard that things can be achieved and speak, speaking of the awards if we go back to the salesperson on the sales team how important is it for sales managers and and um uh, I suppose company owners to award their sales team to to uh, show appreciation, be it through awards or, or, or other um, initiatives. Massively, not everyone's a winner. So, <laughs> I, I, and again, but I think it really helps. Um, like, I think salespeople are driven, and they're driven by results, and actually they want to win the prizes. And I'll give you, I'll give you an example. My son has just graduated. Um, he was in Salford Uni, and he did. Um, business and management right and he said I said what are you going to do and he said well I don't really know and I'm quite good friends with Neil Clough who was on The Apprentice and he has got a sales recruitment company for graduates so he's in Manchester so I put Kieran my oldest son in contact with Neil anyway he gets this job he's working with Softcat you know they he's doing the cyber security stuff for Softcat Honestly, I'm getting like, oh, mum, I've won the trip to the Ivy or oh, mum, I've like closed this one and I've got like a 20 grander in the bag. And I'm like, that's my boy, because you do, you you know, and I think the thing with it is sales. Um, Again, bizarrely, I'm not slagging anybody off in marketing, but like marketing's quite steady, isn't it? You get your salary, you do your job. Sales is like a roller coaster and that feeling oh that feeling when you close a sale it's just that adrenaline rush it's even hard to put that into words and then when you do win a top achiever or the president's award or you go on the trip to whatever it is you just feel so special so I think that people I know that again my son's a recent graduate new to sales he's probably done about a year now I think but he like he's like mom I'm going to win this and I'm like right son what's in your pipeline what's the probability which ones are you going to do for how are we going to get this in the bag? So like I'm coaching him to come on, Kieran, let's go, let's go. And and again, I think that's the other thing that, you know, good leaders, the way that I'm coaching my son, and his results are not coming from my coaching, honestly. I don't even think he's read my book. I hate to say that out loud. <laughs> um, but it's just that, um, you know, having a good leader behind you that believes in you. I think it's that belief that gives you the confidence as well. So, yeah, he's my uh, my greatest achievement, my uh, top performing son in sales. Brilliant. And um, you, you spoke about pipelines there. Uh, pipelines and CRM traditionally can be a, a pet hate for salespeople because they like to be out on the road or they like to be making the calls and they might they forget to enter the data. It is something over time that I've learned is very important that the more accurate the data is, the more the pipeline flows. T- tell us a bit about that. Well, that's where, again, I think that process, process, you don't get a Dyson without following a process. And to me, I, oh, so again, I'm sharing some of my secrets from back in the day. Like I... Um, we used to use SAP. That was the CRM that we did. And honestly, my notes were immaculate because because of my retention issues, I'd, I'd have to revisit the notes so that I could be able to go back and pick up the conversations. And I used to get, I would, I, this sounds bizarre, but work list OCD. So the way that it used to work at Yale, because we were, would work in campaigns, 
you would have six months to work on that um, pipeline on that data and then you would close that data because they couldn't book anymore and then after that you get a new work list and honestly I would get work list OCD so if you have like um, anything that's happened and they haven't processed it get it off like because I believe that Again, I talk about, I've got an empty inbox, like literally we talk about empty inbox policy. I think organization is a key to top performance. And um, I can remember I was working, mentoring one of the girls in my team. And I, well, first of all, I looked at her laptop and it was minging. I mean, it was just minging. And I thought, oh my God, is her cat been sick on this? Like, how can she show that to customers? It was like, oh my God. But again, this is what I mean. Like that first impression and that, and that like, they call it, I mean, I was working with an organization and they talked about sales hygiene. And I think actually that's quite a good way to put it. So then I looked at her work list and she had like cancellations on her work list from like a year, a year beforehand. And I'm like, right, okay, come on, let's clear this work list down. And I'm like, what's happening with that? She goes, oh, well, I don't think I contacted them. Oh my God, you cancellation and you went on the phone straight away. What the hell? You know, and it was things like that one has, it was a default because of credit. And that, that could have been fixed. That sale could have been saved. But because her work list was a mess and she just didn't have a clue and like things like inbound leads, she had no idea. No idea when there was an inbound lead coming in because her work list was like a duck's dinner. Oh, duck's dinner. Now it's like a dog's dinner. But um, so I, 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 again, you can hear the passion that I talk about behind that. You cannot achieve brilliant results without having a brilliant tidy work list and, and great notes because you won't remember we're not superhuman especially when you were you know you're working with a lot of clients and could you bring that that particular person could you bring them around oh that was somebody i worked with that wasn't okay. that wasn't that was that wasn't okay. my job dara okay, like literally yeah, okay. i was yeah, yeah. that was a distraction from my sales time but i was such a good colleague that i gave my own time away from my sales time and my target to help the company i took one for the team <laughs> uh, so i didn't have to get involved in that but i do work when i am working with teams I, I will have a look at their pipeline and um make sure they're up to date on that because it's otherwise they, they, it's a mess they don't know where to start like they start their day and they don't really know where to start from it's it's just like a, just a jumble it's important to create habits uh, in terms of, of uh you know, how many calls you're going to do a day, how many times you're going to visit your CRM. And I think uh, with, with uh, technology being so advanced now, you know, that the, the, they have these things on the phone. There, there's really no excuse. Oh, and that's where like, and again, good sales organizations will set the KPIs for you. So, you know, going back in the day, like a, like a BT, again, life before the internet, um, the talk time, I think, was three hours and 100 calls a day, something like that, the dialouts. Um, but um, again, I was a top performer, but I very rarely hit the KPIs because um, a lot of the time I would spend like longer and getting great quality. So like I wasn't banging out 100 calls a day. My calls were less. But I think once you hit your target, nobody really cares about the KPIs. But I, I went in and I did was working with this organization on their sales um, with their sales team. And they weren't on target. They, like it was a mess. Nobody was on target. And I had to then strip back because that's when the KPIs come in. And this guy was an outbound account manager. And they hadn't 
the organization hadn't been looking at the dialouts, they hadn't been looking at the talk times. So that was obviously the first thing that I did was find out where the gap is, like what's wrong, is it a skills gap? Is it an attitude gap? You know, why, why is this, why are they not on target? So this guy, uh, uh, in a week, a week's dialouts, 38 calls, talk time is something like on average, 29 minutes a day. And I'm like, oh, I think we found out why he's not hitting his target. <laughs> um, so, but then you have to find the reason. Why is that so long? And what was happening was he was prepping every call. And I do believe you should be prepping for calls. But it was taking him like an hour and a half. He wasn't storing it in the notes. And then the customer wasn't available. So that was like an hour and a half dead time. And every time he went back and revisited it, they had to spend that hour and a half prepping. And you spoke about KPIs. And if we look at KPIs and metrics, from the salesperson's perspective, what's the one most important metrics or KPI they should be focused on? Um, I would say it's about quality of calls, not quantity of calls, because I think if you've got 100 calls a day and a talk time of an hour and a half, you're bashing out and that the problem. So you're always looking for the problem. So the problem at that point, their wind reduction isn't strong enough. They're not actually getting the customer's attention at the beginning of the call to either sell the next call or to have a part of a conversation. And yes, we know that there's going to be calls that they're not available. They go, I don't recognize that number. I'm not going to answer. Is that a sales call? So we know that that's in there, but I genuinely think top performers don't wait to be um, managed by a leader on their KPIs. I think that if you were to ask a top performer, they would know those stats and they would know they're self-motivated to be able to rectify um, and analyze and learn new stuff. I think it's that constant learning, whereas a lot of salespeople feel that um, the company should be providing that for them. But I genuinely think as salespeople, we should be educating ourselves every single day for new things that are going on. Could you provide us with one piece of advice uh, for salespeople to improve their game? One piece of advice. Uh, I would say there is a really great book called Secrets of Successful Sales that covers amazing techniques in there. It's available on Amazon um, or it's actually even on Spotify or Audible. I would grab a copy of that and um, help your sales skills. Brilliant. And Alison, if people would like to learn a little bit more about you, uh, where, where can they find you? Where can they get in contact with you? I'm not hard to find, Dara. Just a, a wee bit of Googling, like literally. Um, the website is smashittraining.com or my speaker website is alisonedgar.com, but literally just Google Alison Edgar, E-D-G-A-R, and I am not hard to find. You've been an absolute tonic, I think, for, for us, myself, and Ushie today, and for our listeners. So thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Alison. You're welcome. That was brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Sales Expert Podcast. I hope you found our conversation with our guests insightful and informative. If you've enjoyed today's episode and are motivated and inspired to hear more from top sales professionals, be sure to subscribe and follow the podcast to keep up to date with our latest weekly episodes. Also, if you're new to this podcast, please have a listen back to the previous episode. If if you'd like to contribute as a guest please drop us an email to salesexpertpodcast at gmail.com our mission is to bring you valuable and insightful strategies from the best and brightest minds in the sales industry so you can level up your sales game and achieve your goals thank you for listening and we'll join you next week on the sales expert podcast